Now is the time to fight. Now? Now. Oh. I might have said a few years ago it was the time to fight Senator Schumer, but, you know, we'll take now, I guess. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. How soon is now? I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cozy Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans' WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Well, we had a uh, pretty grim show yesterday, Desi Doyen. Yes, I know. uh, Our friend Mark Joseph Stern following the nomination of Monday night, uh, on Monday night, of uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh as Trump's pick to replace Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy. So uh, while yesterday was grim, I thought we would double down by having a guest actually named Grim (laughs) on today's show. (laughs) Okay. The the Intercept's D.C. Bureau Chief Ryan Grim will join us shortly to discuss what, if anything, Senate Democratic leadership, yes, I'm talking to you, Chuck Schumer, uh, what they are doing to try and marshal the party to unify and block the confirmation of Kavanaugh somehow in the U.S. Senate in advance of the crucial November midterms, where if they play their cards right, the Democrats, they could take back a majority in the Senate and block any and all Trump nominees to the high court and all the other courts, by the way. But, you know, since when have Democrats played their cards right? But uh, we will talk to Ryan about that and what, if anything, the Dems have planned which it sure seems they uh, should have started pushing a long time ago. Maybe that's just me. We'll see what Ryan has to say. But first today, uh, Donald Trump touched down in Europe on Wednesday for meetings with NATO allies this week and a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin next week. He kicked off his uh, round of talks with allies today by going straight after Germany. One of the United States' best friends uh, for being too close to Russia. During a breakfast event ahead of the NATO meetings in Brussels, here's what Trump had to say. Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they were getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy 
from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO, and I don't think it should have happened. Now, if you look at it, Germany is a captive of Russia. Germany is a captive of Russia. You know, I am reminded, Des, of that. uh, Remember that White House meeting a few months back after one of the mass shootings? I can't remember if it was Parkland High School or the Vegas massacre. Remember when uh, Trump charged his own Republican colleagues in the room of being controlled and captive to the uh, National Rifle Association? Oh, yeah. Because they were against any kind of gun safety reform. And then, of course, the very next day, I think it was, he had lunch with the top NRA folks And he quickly decided to also not do anything himself for real gun safety reform. Uh, For some reason, that came to mind today. (laughs) I don't know why. It sounds very similar. Yeah, uh, that was what I thought of when I heard Trump charging that Germany is controlled by Russia. Anyway, uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel responded in a statement saying, uh, quote, I've experienced myself a part of Germany controlled by the Soviet Union. And I'm very happy today that we are united in freedom as the Federal Republic of Germany and can thus say that we can determine our own policies and make our own decisions. And that's very good, said Merkel. Former Secretary of State John Kerry weighed in on Trump's comments ahead of the NATO summit this morning after he had accused Germany of being a captive of Russia. Kerry said, I've never seen a president say anything as strange or counterproductive as President Trump's harangue at NATO and Germany. It was disgraceful, destructive, and flies in the face of the actual interests of the United States of America. He said, uh, the president set America back this morning. He is steadily destroying our reputation in the world. That was former Secretary of State John Kerry. Those comments are not unlike the one from the head of the European Union, uh, Donald Tusk, the former Polish uh, prime minister uh, who now heads the EU, uh, even before Trump's dumb comment today, after a statement on Tuesday calling for more cooperation between the EU and NATO, Tusk said, quote, Dear America, appreciate your allies. After all, you don't have that many. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. Uh, He also cautioned Trump in advance of his uh, meeting uh, uh, next week with uh, Russia's Putin that, quote, it is always worth knowing who is your strategic friend and who is your strategic problem. But never mind uh, Trump's trail of destruction abroad with our allies uh, as he spreads his America first message, which is closer and closer every day to America alone. Uh, His destruction of uh, Americans themselves, their jobs, their health care continues to grow each day without the broad national attention that it deserved to what he is actually doing to Americans. And it's somewhat understandable, given all of his other train wrecks every day. Uh, But some of his first victims here, first American victims, appear to be his own voters and those American jobs that he pretends to promote. Automaker BMW said this week that it would move production for some of its SUVs out of the U.S. as a result of new tariffs placed on the vehicles that, according to the Post and Courier in South Carolina, 
The German-based automobile manufacturer signed an agreement with its Chinese partner to increase the number of vehicles produced in their country, according to the Charleston paper. So our loss is China's gain as a result of the trade tariff war yep. that Trump has launched with China. Yep. And uh, which looks like it has uh, no end in sight. BMW said our agreement sets a long term framework for our future in China and a clear commitment to the development and production of electric vehicles. There you go. According to their uh, CEO, company also said it will raise prices for U.S. produced SUVs sold in China because it cannot completely absorb the tariff increases as uh, China has now slapped a 40 percent tariff on some U.S. car imports. The action was in response that China took to the tariffs on Chinese goods that were imposed by President Trump. BMW is the largest U.S. auto exporter, employs some 10,000 people at their plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, Trump hit China last week with these steep tariffs on about $34 billion worth of products. China responded in kind with retaliatory tariffs on American imports, including SUVs, soybeans, seafood. They accused Trump of launching, quote, the biggest trade war in economic history and of using tariffs as, quote, typical trade bullying. Well, on Tuesday, that bullying from the Trump administration got worse. They announced they are now readying tariffs on another 200 billion in Chinese imports from burglar alarms to mackerel to Chinese air conditioners and leather goods, escalating that trade war uh, beyond anything I think anyone has ever seen, uh, certainly between the world's two largest economies. The Office of the U.S. Trade Representative uh, proposed 10 percent tariffs on Tuesday on a list of more than 6,000 Chinese product uh, pr uh, product lines. The office will accept public comments. They'll hold hearings on this scheme in August before reaching their final decision in September. When uh, compiling the list of goods, according to CNBC, the U.S. trade rep took into account what could cause disruptions to China's economy. So he says out now, we are trying to hurt them. We are trying to hurt their economy. Last Friday, the U.S., of course, imposed those 25% uh, tariffs on $34 billion uh, in Chinese products, where Beijing responded in kind hitting the exact same amount of U.S. imports. The administration said the new levies are a response to Chinese decision to China's decision to re retaliate against that first round of U.S. tariffs. Oh, how dare they? How dare they retaliate against our retaliation? Exactly. <laughs> so we are now retaliating yeah. once again in kind. Uh, Trump has threatened to tax as much as $550 billion in Chinese products. Remember, these are taxes paid by us, paid by Amer the American people and the American corporation. What we call tariffs are actually taxes on these goods that we pay. But $550 billion in uh, Chinese products, that's an amount that AP observes actually exceeds America's total imports from China last year. So we're going to tax more than we are actually getting from them. The initial U.S. tariff list uh, focused on Chinese industrial products. 
um, in hopes of limiting the impact on actual American consumers. But by expanding this list, the administration is beginning to hit products that every uh, U.S. household buys, like things like uh, electric lamps and fish sticks. Although I should say our household does not buy fish sticks. <laughs> Just want to get that on the record. So the uh, this uh, comment, this quote, tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese products amounts to another multi-billion dollar tax on American businesses and families. That, according to uh, Scott Lincoln Comey, a trade lawyer and senior policy analyst for a group called Republicans Fighting Tariffs. He says, given China's likelihood of retaliation, it's also billions worth of new tariffs on American exporters. So we pay the tax on the stuff we're importing uh, and we are going to sell fewer things that we are exporting because uh, taxes are raised on those overseas. Members of Congress are increasingly questioning Trump's aggressive trade policies, writes AP, warning that tariffs on imports raise prices for consumers and expose U.S. farmers and manufacturers to retaliation. Of course, these uh, folks, these members of Congress could stop all of this immediately. They could simply pass a bill that requires congressional approval on these new taxes on the American people, but they haven't. And yes, it would need to be signed by the president, but I suspect they would have no trouble overcoming a presidential veto with support from both Democrats and Republicans alike on a bill like this. But so far, congressional Republicans have done little more than talk a little bit and otherwise cower to this out-of-control presidency. Uh, Senate Finance Chair Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, gave a statement after the new list of $200 billion in Chinese goods was announced. He said, tonight's announcement appears reckless and is not a targeted approach. This action falls short of a strategy that will give the administration negotiating leverage with China while maintaining the long-term health and prosperity of the American economy. Well, that's right. But what are you going to do about it other than issue statements, Senator Coward of Utah? And by the way, uh, Hatch is done. He's retiring. He's on his way out. I mean, he could introduce a bill and not risk anything uh, this November. But he's not going to. The, uh, the toll on Republican voters taken by Trump's trade wars, uh, meanwhile, are beginning to be a very real problem. With Trump now overseas, uh, it's falling to his vice president, Mike Pence, to try and clean up this mess, both uh, short term and long term for Republicans. Uh, because this is now slamming farmers. This is already slamming farmers in uh, key states like Iowa and Ohio and Michigan, Missouri, Kansas, Pennsylvania. Vice President Mike Pence is beginning a campaign swing through the Midwest today uh, designed to fire up the base in uh, three battleground House districts. But he also has a secondary mission, according to Politico, damage control. In the face of an intensifying trade war, they report Pence is quietly setting up one-on-one -on -one meetings with major Midwestern donors where he's hoping to blunt concerns over the escalating situation that's beginning to wreak havoc on markets, on farmers and employers across the region. 
Kirk Leeds, the Iowa Soybean Association CEO, said, quote, the cost and impact is being felt by farmers for several weeks now. It's real. It's a fact. It's happening. This is his quote, not me. Uh, Even if we find a way between China and the U.S. to find a political face-saving compromise, it's the long-term consequences of the disruption in these trade patterns that we worry about, he says. The timing of uh, Pence's visits in the Midwest paired with the donor meetings is the first sign of an administration effort to manage political blowback from the trade war that the president started. Brett Davis, an Ohio farmer who's also the uh, director of the American Soybean Association, said that uh, since the announcement of the tariffs, we have lost 20 percent of our income in soybeans nationally. He fears the uh, repercussions of a long term trade impasse. He says we spent 35 years now working on this, trying to get trade with China to this point, And now it's going to take years to get that back, he said. Nowhere is the economic unease surrounding those policies more apparent than in Iowa, writes Politico. Two weeks ago, the state's two senior, uh, two senators and uh, three GOP congressmen sent the administration a joint letter reiterating the devastating impact the tariffs are having on the state. Pence uh, is planning to uh, appear at a number of fundraisers. It's very interesting. He's so he's, he's he's showing up for these fundraisers on behalf of these. Uh, Congress members who are at threat, yet he's not meeting with any of the agriculture people in these uh, in these places where he in these states that he's visiting in well, Iowa or Kansas. He probably doesn't want to hear <laughs> what he would be hearing from them. I guess he doesn't. He's going to appear with uh, House Freedom Caucus member uh, Congressman Rod Bloom in northeastern Iowa, where pork producers and soybean farmers are seeing their profits plummet. The trade issue, which is uh, making headlines already in the Iowa governor's race, is proving to be a key wedge issue for Democrats in the state who are asking why Pence did not schedule FaceTime with anyone in the ag sector as he meets with these big GOP donors instead. Well, you know, their priorities are pretty straight. They just want the money. That's it. Just give us the money. Shut up and give us the money. Uh, Democratic State Rep Abby Finkenauer, who is running for Congress in Iowa, said that they are projecting to lose $1 billion in Iowa just on pork and soybeans alone. She says if our ag economy and our uh, farming economy are not doing well, neither is manufacturing because they make combines and plows there. It affects all of us across the board, she says. On uh, on Friday, Pence is advertised as the headliner for another fundraiser for uh, uh, Congressman Pete Roscom in Illinois, whose district was carried by Hillary Clinton in 2016. An invitation to the fundraiser asks for a $25,000 a couple donation. So those are the folks he's happy to meet with, not the farmers who they pretended to love and support when they were trying to get elected back in 2016. Pat Brady, a former Illinois Republican Party chair, said, I'm glad Pence is uh, doing these fundraisers because there are a lot of Republicans like me who are wondering what the president is doing in this so-called trade war. We're free traders, he said. I'm all for uh, fixing any problems with China, but not going to war over it. He said, I hope there's a plan or an end game. Trade wars are not good for business. 
Yeah, well, good luck with convincing your president, Donald Trump, of that, Mr. Brady. Of course, that's not all that the administration continues to do to hurt actual Americans, the American people, on its uh, and its own voters. Uh, unable to kill the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare last year uh, by, you know, hoping to repeal it entirely but failing, the administration now continues to change policies to make health insurance more expensive for everybody. For, yes, especially those who need it most, including many of Donald Trump's own voters. That debacle is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Do you really want to hurt me? Yes, they do. They really, really want to hurt you. The Trump administration wants to hurt the American people. Period. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Intercept's uh, D.C. Bureau Chief Ryan Grimm, who will be joining us shortly to discuss what, if anything, Democrats on Capitol Hill uh, hope to do to stop the confirmation of Trump's Supreme Court pick uh, Brett Kavanaugh from being seated on the court prior to the November election, where he's uh, almost certain to if he's seated to reverse a whole host of civil rights and laws if he is uh, seated, including the Affordable Care Act, by the way, or Obamacare. Uh, which has helped tens of millions of Americans obtain access to health care since its passage in 2010. So in related news, I've been trying to get to this story for the past couple of days because it's something that the Trump administration did over the Independence Day holiday weekend when I guess they figured that few would notice. Uh, and they were right. Uh, but I want to help correct that a bit. I've been trying to get to the story. The uh, the Trump administration took another major swipe at the Affordable Care Act, halting billions of dollars in annual payments that are required under the law to uh, even out the cost to insurers whose customers need expensive medical services. This according to the Washington Post in a rare Saturday afternoon announcement. Just to give you an idea, Saturday afternoon over a holiday weekend. You think they wanted anyone to notice what they were doing here? <laughs> kind of. Over the uh, Saturday afternoon announcement, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, said it would stop collecting and paying out money under the ACA's risk adjustment program. That announcement drew swift protest from the health insurance industry. So risk adjustment is uh, one of several methods built into the 2010 health care law that helps insulate insurance companies 
from the ACA requirement that they accept all customers for the first time, whether they're healthy or sick or et cetera, without charging more to those who need substantial care. So uh, this is, uh, you know, essentially says that, uh, you know, if you're uh, an insurance company, you have to sell your insurance to anyone who would like to buy it via the exchange. You can't uh, bar them or charge them more because they're uh, not well. However, if you're a company that gets unlucky and gets a bunch of uh, sick people, uh, the other companies will essentially give you some of their profits. The other companies who uh, had less sick uh, cl- uh, customers. So it kind of evens out even the revenue out. stream exactly. there. Okay. Well, federal officials are required each year to calculate which insurers with relatively low cost consumers have to chip in to this fund. And that goes to the uh, to the companies who have more expensive customers who are owed the money for that. It's risk uh, risk pooling. And uh, the practical effects are that it encourages insurers to participate in these marketplaces Uh, created by the Affordable Care Act for Americans who can't get affordable health benefits through their own jobs. So this doesn't actually cost the government anything. These are payments made from one company, essentially, to another. That's it. In order to allow all of the companies to offer health insurance to all Americans, wherever they are, uh, you know, wherever they may be doing business. But uh, the Trump administration says, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Or at least they're trying to uh, stop doing that, despite the fact that this is a mandatory program under federal law. According to Scott Sirota, president of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, uh, he said without a quick resolution, this action will significantly increase 2019 premiums for millions of individuals and small business owners. He says it will undermine Americans' access to affordable coverage, particularly for those who need medical care the most. Matt Isles, the president of America's health insurance plans, noted in a statement that the timing of this latest move could be particularly disruptive because this is the season during which insurers around the country decide whether to take part in the ACA marketplaces, the exchanges for next year, for 2019. And if so, what rates they will charge? He says this decision will create more market uncertainty and increase premiums for many health plans. They went on to say that costs for taxpayers will rise as the federal government spends more on premium subsidies as required by law to keep costs low for Obamacare customers. So this is this. Remember, they did this last year as well. The the uncertainty that this ended up resulting in increased premiums because of what the Trump administration did. And now it could well go up again. Uh, with the administration saying just we're not going to pay these uh, this at all, despite the fact that we're required to do so by law. And basically not even we don't even pay it. This is the companies that pay it. So basically you're yeah. saying that by by not doing this thing, this risk corridor calculation yep. that does not cost the government anything. Right. They're actually going to cost the government more. Correct. Because they'll have to put out more in order to keep up with the to premium. To cover the subsidies, subsidies that are required under Obamacare. That is insane. Yes, it is. And, and, well, no wonder they did it on a weekend, I guess, so that people might not notice. AP notes that no taxpayer subsidies are involved here, 
at least in these insurance uh, payments, these risk adjustments. This is money paid by customers to their provider, and then their provider uh, shares that wealth with others, uh, other companies. Risk pooling. Right. Insurance. Uh, right. Uh, so this is going to cost the government more money, along with consumers who don't use the Obamacare exchanges, because ones who use it can, you know, they'll their subsidies will go up as the premiums go up. So in other words, this is going to hurt people who don't use Obamacare, many of Trump's own voters. The brunt of the higher prices would fall on solid middle class consumers who are not eligible for the income based subsidies. Many of those are self-employed people and small business owners uh, who are generally seen as a Republican constituency, according to AP. But wait, that's not all. That's not all that this cruel administration is doing to make it harder for no good reason, but to make it harder for all Americans to have decent health care. Uh, even as remember, Trump promised that he was going to assure that everyone had health care and it was going to be even better and cost them less money. Well, like everything else, that appears to have been a lie. Everything else that Donald Trump says and does, it was a lie. And what he's doing instead continues to hurt Americans for no other reason than uh, he doesn't like Obamacare. Uh, you know, he didn't do it. So I guess he's got to kill it. Well, he's uh, trying to kill it in um, that was over the weekend. And now on Tuesday, the Trump administration announced that they were slashing grants to nonprofit grassroots organizations who help people obtain health insurance under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so here's how they but here's how they did it. Uh, they, they this again, CMS, the Center for uh, Medicare and Medicaid, which handles the grants to these nonprofit organizations, uh, these these people who serve as navigators to those who need in-person help signing up for health insurance under Obamacare. They put out an announcement saying today the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced the funding opportunity announcement for the federally facilitated exchange navigator program. For plan year 2019, CMS expects to award up to $10 million for a one-year period of performance. And that's in bold. They're very proud of that, I guess. Wow, a funding opportunity of $10 million. That sounds great, except that the $10 million that they're offering is actually a huge cut from last year, which was already a huge cut from the year before for this Navigator program. So $10 million this year, that's down from $36 million they spent on the program last year, which is in itself a huge cut from the $63 million that was offered in late 2016. So we're now looking at a total reduction of more than 80%. And these are programs, these are people helping people in rural areas, people who uh, don't have uh, English as their first language to figure out how to navigate through the various plans that they can purchase under the exchange. <sighs> Rachel Fleischer, the executive director of Young Invincibles, an advocacy group for young adults, said she was dismayed by the cuts announced on Tuesday. Research, she said, has shown the effectiveness of in-person assistance provided to people shopping for health insurance, uh, which is a notoriously complicated product. She says the cuts will result in far fewer in-person assisters and uh, huge swaths of the country lacking any in-person help. Of course, access to health care, reproductive rights, voting rights, labor rights, privacy rights, 
So much more is now on the chopping block with Trump's new nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. This is not a drill, people. So uh, where are the Democrats in their campaign to somehow block Judge Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation vote, at least until after the American people have spoken at the ballot box this November? We will get the latest on that from The Intercept's Ryan Grimm in D.C. right after a short break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Come together. Civil rights, labor rights, LGBTQ rights, environmental rights. Now is the time to fight. Now. Now is the time for American people to make their voices heard loudly, clearly, from one end of this country to the other. Now is the time to demand a justice who will protect our health care, not strike it down. Now is the time to demand a justice who recognizes a woman's personal liberty, her right to make her own health care choices, instead of one who will put the government between a woman and her doctor. Now is the time to fight for the freedoms and rights that all Americans deserve. And that's what's at stake with this Supreme Court nomination. Well, oh boy, do you feel fired up? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was the barn burner of a rally speech uh, from Democratic Senator Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer outside the U.S. Capitol on Tuesday behind a podium sign reading hashtag what's at stake as Democrats begin to try and mount their opposition to Donald Trump's second U.S. Supreme Court nominee, Judge Brett Kavanaugh who was tapped on Monday night to fill the seat being left vacant by the outgoing swing vote on the court, Justice Anthony Kennedy. Not particularly inspiring, at least to my ears, uh, even if he is absolutely right about now being the time to fight and, of course, what is now at stake with the hard right-wing Kavanaugh set to replace the at least occasionally moderate Kennedy on the stolen 5-4 to Republican majority on the Supreme Court. After the GOP prevented Barack Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, from receiving any vote at all to fill a vacancy on the court in 2016, because, as McConnell said at the time, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, uh, nine months ahead of that year's election, the American people deserve to have a voice in the seating of a new Supreme Court justice. But with uh, Kennedy retiring just over three months before the next election, the uh, the crucial midterms in which Senate Republicans could lose their very slim 51-49 seat majority, Republicans seem to have completely lost their memory about what they did to steal the court for Trump's first nominee, Neil Gorsuch, back in 2016 and 17. And apparently, Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer doesn't appear too interested in reminding them about it, according to The Intercept's Ryan Grimm. Schumer is, 
however, reportedly warning his fellow Democrats in the Senate to unify against Kavanaugh and, as Grimm reports, to put up a brutal fight over the next Supreme Court justice or there will be hell to pay from the Democratic base. That, according to senior aides, briefed on Schumer's message. As Grimm notes, Democratic uh, Democratic leadership's response in the two weeks since Kennedy announced his retirement has been in stark contrast to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's firm across-the-board rejection of any Obama nominee sent up in 2016. Schumer has told colleagues, however, that reviving complaints about the process over Merrick Garland from 2016 and 17 will be ineffective. Instead, he says, the party needs to attack the nominee specifically. Schumer's team has advised Senate offices on that plan. So attack attack him, not on procedural grounds, but on policy grounds. After last year's campaign against Trump's first nominee, Neil Gorsuch, failed to present to prevent his seating, he easily won his confirmation, but only after Republicans changed the Senate rules to do away with the 60-vote filibuster that had for decades been the bar for confirmation for U.S. Supreme Court justices. So uh, is that it? Is that it from the Democrats? Go after Kavanaugh on policy grounds, hope for the best, and forget about the fact that the GOP actually stole the U.S. Supreme Court, likely for generations, thanks to their willingness to block Obama's nominee on strictly procedural grounds? Surely Dems have a bigger plan than that, right? Maybe not. Joining us now is The Intercept's D.C. Bureau Chief and former Washington Bureau Chief for HuffPost's Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporting team, Ryan Grimm. Mr. Grimm, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me here. So uh, I'll ask you, is is that it? Should opponents of uh, Trump and Kavanaugh and supporters of all the rights that Kavanaugh has set up to help strip away from the American people, should they take any comfort in the fact that Schumer is I guess, calling on Americans to call their senators and otherwise doesn't even apparently have his own Democratic caucus of 49 senators locked in just yet? Well, I think she takes some comfort in the fact that he's planning to try, at least, because that wasn't uh, always a given. Uh, and I think, actually, his, his decision to focus on substance over process here is a good one, and it runs against his instincts. And so he had to, he saw a lot of polling that was quite conclusive that, uh, that the, the, the argument about substance was going to be the one that won out over the one over process. And for somebody, a Democrat like Schumer process, that's, that's, where they, that's where they feel most comfortable. You know, if you remember, um, when Merrick Garland was nominated, Democrats mm-hmm. made their entire argument about process. You know, it's not fair, he's, he's well qualified, give him a chance, meet with him. And then they ran this entire campaign called We Need Nine, right. saying that, uh, you know, th- that thinking that they could rally the American people around the notion that the Supreme Court needs a particular number of justices. When, if you polled the American people, the number that would accurately guess the number that the Supreme Court currently has or is supposed to have mm-hmm. would probably be in the, you know, maybe 20% or less. Um, and so, unsurprisingly, the uh, you know, American people were not very moved by the idea that we need nine. Right. Uh, whereas, 
the Republican voters were, were moved by the idea that, oh, we could steal this seat, and we can flip Roe v. Wade, and we can, you know, control the court. And so, in some ways, Schumer's just catching up with, with McConnell on this. Uh, you know, they tried the process argument with Neil Gorsuch. Uh, every senator, you know, said that uh, it was un- unfair what had been done, and, and on and on, and, you know, he's now justice. But, but let me let me press you on that a little bit because uh, you know with the we need nine campaign yes that's totally procedural but it doesn't take on the fight that the Republicans were putting up which is that we're not going to meet with him at all and when it came to uh, Gorsuch's uh, uh, nomination. Democrats did not throw that back, said, you know, they did not say we're not going to meet with Gorsuch. We're going to walk out. We're not going to uh, participate in this charade at all. Right. So I'm not so sure. And at the same time, Ryan, let me just add that it seems in, you know, 2016 before the presidential election and in 2017 during Gorsuch, the American people did know what was at stake, and they didn't seem to uh, rally to Democrats in, in either case. No, that's, that's, that's right. And the, the right has always been better at rallying uh, its base around judges than, than, than the left has, and that's, that's been the case for a very long time and, and, and remains the case. But I think you're right that there are some moves that they could make citing uh, you know, Gorsuch and Garland, if they wanted, like you said, uh, you know, don't show up for the committee hearing. Mm-hmm. Refuse to meet with him. You know, uh, you know, otherwise signal to the American people that something unique is happening, something different, right, is happening here. Uh, and they may end up doing that. You know, they're under pressure from the you know the outside activist groups who are uh, who are kind of running the campaign to uh, urge senators to respond in particular ways uh so it's not clear yet what they're what they're going to do um the key difference of course is that mcconnell controlled the senate and mm-hmm. so he controlled the floor schedule uh back in 2016 whereas schumer does not have control over the floor schedule it would be interesting if schumer currently held the senate floor or if uh you know if there's another if Democrats take the Senate and this happens again, mm-hmm. could Schumer hold the line? Would he hold the line uh, like McConnell did? And I, and I think you would see an enormous amount of pressure on him to do that. Uh, right now, it's hypothetical, but it's an interesting question. You, uh, you quote a Democratic senator, not an aide, I think this is an actual senator, speaking anonymously in your report at The Intercept, Ryan, uh, saying uh, talking about Chuck Schumer, that he has spent his career trying to make every one of his colleagues happy and telling them what they want to hear but there is no sense of leadership it just feels as if everyone is in a big tent just staying where they are doing whatever they feel is in their interests that's disturbing uh what would that senator or others who who uh, might like to see a harder line what are according to your reporting what is it that they would like to see from leadership here so the basic thing that they're asking for is don't just try to make everybody happy. You know, mm-hmm. You're only going to lead if you're willing to cause some people some temporary discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to say to uh, some of the red state senators, look, uh, we need to stick together on this and we need to put the pressure on Collins and Murkowski and, and you need to figure out the politics in your own home state 
how to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's but that's what we're doing here. And if you don't, um, you know, here are the here are the consequences, um, which somebody like a Harry Reid uh, might do. Whereas uh, that that's just that has never been Chuck Schumer's style. He's always been like, you know, what can I do for you? Well, you report that he is actually, uh, f- for the first time, sort of uh, warning the caucus they need to get on board. Uh, do you have any sense? I mean, you know, the only chance, it, it's a, there's a slim chance that he can, Kavanaugh can be blocked at all here, but obviously if even that chance is going to work, it will take all 49 senators in the Democratic caucus. Do you have any sense of whether Schumer has even locked in his own caucus at this time, the, the 49 oh, senators? Yeah. Oh, he certainly has not. Uh, you have people like uh, Don, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Tester in Montana, High Camp, North Dakota, uh, McCaskill, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at a minimum, mm-hmm. um, who you know, are, are you know are are not locked in. Right. Um, the, the goal for the first goal for Schumer is to keep them neutral. You know, if he could get them to come out, no, okay, great. Um, but he wants to keep them neutral because the longer that they stay neutral, then the longer that the pressure is on Collins and Murkowski. Now, the second that, say, a Joe Donnelly comes out and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm supporting him, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden Collins can come out and say uh, that she's against him. Right. Uh, now, it would be fascinating... Uh, he couldn't really pull this off, I don't think, because it would kill him, uh, Donnelly, back home. But to see if Donnelly, um, you know, you, you kind of bait, you bait Collins into a no. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Donnelly comes out and says, you know, I'm going to vote for him. And uh, Manchin comes out and says, I'm going to vote for him. And then Collins comes out and says, I'm a no, and then they flip. Yeah, that, and then you beat me. That's a pretty dangerous game of chicken at that yeah, point. It yeah, seems to me. Yeah, but that's what they are playing as chicken right now. Right. Who will who who will be the first to come out with a yes or a no? Yeah. Well, I'm not convinced, uh, Ryan Grimm, that uh, lack of procedural moves here uh, is is actually smart. Have you heard any talk among your Senate sources about? somehow preventing the hearings from happening at all. Remember, McConnell had no no hearings. They didn't even meet with senators uh, or with the uh, uh, Merrick Garland, with the nominee back in 2016. They refused to even meet with him. Have you any, heard any talk from any of the Senate sources about somehow preventing those uh, hearings from happening at all in the Senate Judiciary Committee or uh, even saying, no, we are not going to even meet with this guy until with uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh until after the November election at earliest? That's what uh, there, there definitely is talk about that. Uh, the problem is that there isn't a lot of ability to do that on a long term basis. You can deny a quorum in a committee. But then the uh, chairman has shown that he's been able to use use the tools at his disposal to move forward with a hearing, uh, regardless. That because they 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 stopped showing up for a couple of hearings, if you recall, in 2017 for some odious nominees mm-hmm. uh, and denied and denied quorum, and, and then they so then they changed the rules to uh, allow for the hearing to come forward without them. Now that still creates. Uh, a media spectacle, which which attracts attention to the radical nature of the of 
the process mm-hmm. and, and of the nominee. So, uh, not saying you shouldn't do it, but it's not. There, there are no, there are no silver bullets with, with you know, with fifty-one votes, uh, McConnell can can move the nominee. Well. Let me ask about that silver bullet, Ryan, because, uh, yeah, in in a committee, I guess, if the Democrats don't show up, they can just change the rules in committee to carry on the meeting anyway. Uh, and obviously, without any Democrats at a, a you know Supreme Court hearing in the Judiciary Committee, that would get a lot of attention. But uh, the U.S. Constitution, uh, what is it, uh, Article 5, Section 1, or uh, actually Article 1, Section 5, I'm confused, in any event, uh, says that a a quorum is required to carry out, uh, to hold uh, any votes uh, in the Senate itself, in the main floor of the Senate, that you have to have a majority. Well, uh, if if, uh, John McCain cannot get back to Washington, D.C., and all of the Democrats walk out, that gives Republicans only 50 senators. It seems like that would stop all business in the Senate altogether. Has there been, and you know, they could hold no votes on anything substantive, and that's according to the originalist, textualist uh, interpretation of the um, of the of the U.S. Constitution. Is there any talk of that, of simply walking out and shutting down business altogether until after the November election, if that's what's required? There has been some talk, and that's actually come up in some uh, leadership meetings among staffers. And the, the way that Schumer's office has explained it to, to explain their reticence to take that approach is that there is a counter-argument that McConnell would, uh, under unanimous consent, be able to call up legislation and, without objection, pass the legislation. But is that uh, speculation? Is that uh, his understanding of the rules? Is that his concern? I mean, because it seems to me if that well, happens, it, it mean, violates the, the Constitution. That, mm, I mean, it depends on... So this, okay, so then what do you do? Uh, take it to the Supreme Court. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and now the Supreme Court has uh, Kavanaugh on it. No, no, uh, it, no, no! It wouldn't have Kavanaugh on it because if they walked out and they shut down uh, all business altogether, and uh, the Senate Republicans carried on anyway, well, the uh, Democrats go to the Supreme Court, which would be a four-to-four Supreme Court at that time because he, Kavanaugh's not yet seated, right. and uh, they challenge it to the Supreme Court. I mean, they may lose, Ryan, but I'm saying, isn't right. this a time in this country where? But they uh, wouldn't just be losing that. Like, let's say the legislation passed, right? Uh, and so you, you might end up then losing on all of the legislation as well. Oh, maybe think- you're right. You do, you do it anyway. But there is a tradition in the Senate that, if, that you're supposed to man the floor. And if you don't man the floor, um, as soon as a senator is recognized by the, the president on the, at the desk, the senator can ask unanimous consent to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, and theoretically, could ask unanimous consent uh, to pass a nomination, um, you know, to push through a nomination, mm-hmm. um, and then if you challenge the if you challenge it in the Supreme Court, the precedent has long been to uh, to kind of defer to these legislative bodies to set up their own right. rules. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's certainly worth talking about, and it's, and it's something that has risen to you know the level of leadership conversations. Um, but as of now, it's Schumer's opinion that that can't be done. Well, 
the, well, you know, I'm I'm pressing this because, uh, you know, you mentioned there's a tradition. Any senator can come, you know, up and call for unanimous consent for anything they want at that point. But there's also a tradition, you know, to vote on goddamn Supreme Court nominees and not hold them off for a year. And it seems like if there's ever been a time, I realize that Democrats would be putting a lot on the line here before the November uh, elections. But if there has ever been a time in the history of this country to put everything on the line now would seem to be that time and it seems to me there's a good chance that the american people would rally behind such a a big move am i just uh, uh out of my mind here ryan i don't think anybody knows what the best path forward is so you know it, it, like, like i said it's definitely something that's being considered mm-hmm. um and the more you know the more attention there is to that strategy the more pressure there is then you know, the more energized uh, Senate Democrats are. Um, so mm-hmm. it's worth talking about at a minimum. I would say so. And I guess I, I'm going to uh, keep talking about it because I got to tell you, uh, I watched that uh, rally uh, with the Chuck Schumer speaking that we played at the top of the segment and not real inspired by it, uh, Ryan. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of, I almost kind of def- zoned out while you were playing. It. I know I did too. Uh, the rally the night before, I think outside the Supreme court with, uh, some of the presidential potential presidential, uh, candidates, Booker and, and, uh, Elizabeth Warren and, and, uh, Bernie Sanders, that was a little bit more spirited, but Jesus Christ. I mean, if Schumer is the majority leader and that's the best he can come up with hashtag what's at stake, Oi, uh-huh. uh, I'm worried. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, <Yeah. laughs> I guess there's reason to worry. If there's uh, no, re- if there's a reason to worry less, I'm sure you will report it at theintercept.com, where we will uh, point folks for your work. They should also follow you on the Twitters at Ryan Grimm. Ryan is the Intercept's D.C. Bureau Chief. Uh, he's also, by the way, a contributor to our friends at the Young Turks Network and author of the book, This Is Your Country on Drugs, The Secret History of Getting High in America. That may be our only solution. Uh, Ryan, uh, really, appreciate, <laughs> really appreciate you joining us today, my friend. You got it. All right. Boy, uh, I don't know. I, I don't feel much better, Desi Doyen. Do you? Oh, no, I don't feel better at all. What confuses me, however, is the concept of a denying a Senate quorum, but that they might be able to push through uh, legislation, you know, pending legislation that Democrats would hate, you know, through unanimous consent. I thought that if you had no quorum, you couldn't do anything. The whole thing was shut down. Well, again, that's what it says in the U.S. Constitution. Okay. But, uh, you know, the Senate has their own uh, their own rules, their own comedy. I don't know that anyone has ever actually tried to shut down the entire Senate, not talking about a committee, but the entire right. Senate floor by actually walking out. That's why I suggest, uh, as, as uh, and as Ryan suggested, this would then, you know, potentially have to go to the Supreme Court. But uh, if, you know, Republicans pretend to believe in a literal originalist textualist interpretation of the U.S. Constitution, which is uh, pretty clear that there must be a majority uh, present in order to carry out business. I mean, the one sort of gray area is whether, you know, because if the Republic, if the uh, Democrats walked out and McCain's not back, that leaves 50, which is not a 50 Republican senators. That is not a majority. 
And uh, there is some, I guess, legitimate question as to whether the vice president, Mike Pence, if he's there as president of the Senate. Which if, he likely would be well, if this, in this situation case, should yeah, come to pass. That, I guess you could make uh, some kind of argument that that gives you 51, that that gives you a majority. But that would have to be uh, tested. And short of that, I don't know. Um, Desperate times, I guess. Yeah, and and I would like to see, personally, the Democratic senators push forward a much more unified, obviously, opposition to this, but also to frame it as, this is Mitch McConnell's punishment. There must be consequences Mm -hmm. for violating your Senate oath. There must be consequences for denying a president his Supreme Court nominee. And so far, they have not demanded consequences. So I would say put it forth on Mitch McConnell as a response to that. We're going to give the Mitch McConnell treatment to Mitch McConnell. And then after that, we can discuss how we move forward with comity in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, what you know, what are they so worried about? What are they worried about losing at this point? It seems to me they have lost everything. I guess they're worried about losing the November election. But uh, I'm not sure if more of the same tepid, lukewarm behavior from uh, from Democrats, from Senate Democrats, from Mitch McConnell is is, uh, you know, exactly uh, the the type of rallying cry, especially in these red states. Well, listen, they're going to lose the um, uh, you know, if they lose this, uh, they they've lost the Supreme Court for, like I said, decades, generations. But what they'll get their majority back in November. That's the thinking. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that I, if Democrats don't mount a better fight, that it will actually engage the voters in those vulnerable red states for those vulnerable red state senators. I got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Ryan Grimm of The Intercept, and to you for joining us for a portion of your day or night. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Internet, on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Bradblog, and my thanks to those of you who stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate. You're the only ones who keep us on uh, your public airwaves every day. If you can sign up for a uh, automatic monthly uh, donation of any amount you like, it is greatly appreciated. Or a one-time donation is also greatly appreciated. If you haven't done that in a while, please stop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.